Hello and welcome to the Holyrood Briefing. I'm Jamie Park, a student currently studying digital media at the University of Stirling. My co-host today is Mark Doran, a political campaigner and media officer for one of Scotland's main political parties. Today we discuss the Scottish Conservative and Unionist Party, the second largest party in Holyrood, with a total of 31 seats. The Scottish Conservatives are led by Murray MP and Highlands and Islands MSP Douglas Ross and are also the official opposition party in Scotland. Off the back of the 2021 Scottish elections, we sit down and discuss the recent happenings with Scotland and the Scottish Conservatives. So this time we discuss the Scottish Conservative and Unionist Party, who are the official opposition party in Holyrood. Um, they got 31 seats at the most recent Scottish election. They got 23.5% um, of, the, of the regional votes, so it seems that they took a lot of um, what were constituency votes from Labour and the Lib Dems, all kind of united around the Tories, which was quite beneficial for making up a huge proportion of their seats. Yes, so the Scottish Conservatives' pitch in the most recent election was to rebuild Scotland and also to oppose a second independence referendum. Their key taglines were no SNP majority, no NDREF2. So by the Scottish Conservatives' standards, they seem to have been fairly successful in preventing that, or so they claim. Yes, it seems a standard for holding a referendum, at least amongst unionists, was uh, an SNP majority. Um, an SNP majority has been prevented, so I think the Tories will feel quite quite strong in, in saying that there's no mandate for, for that. Yes, and in this election, they heavily pushed the uh, regional vote, which is, of course, everybody's second ballot, um, the peach ballot, and... That seems to have been fairly successful, as that's where the majority of seats came from. In terms of constituency seats, they'll now hold five constituency seats. Yep, all the border seats, one in the central belt and one in uh, the northeast. Yes, and two of those constituency seats which were lost were Edinburgh Central to Angus Robertson and Ayr was lost by only 100 votes. They came close, winning Banff by 800 votes. Yep. And also some of the other North East seats. So, of course, Ruth Davidson was previously the leader of the Scottish Conservative Party. She resigned um, some time ago in October 2019 to be replaced by Jackson Carlaw, who was then replaced by the current leader Douglas Ross who is also the MP for Murray and he's a list MSP at the moment on the Highlands and Islands regional seats. In terms of his performance he's done quite well in actually increasing the votes for the Scottish Conservatives against all odds. Now his approval ratings as leader are not as good as the other party leaders yeah, the Conservatives are claiming quite a strong success in that they've maintained the number of seats they had and increased their vote share on both the constituency and regional ballot. And that's compared to the 2016 election, but if you're looking at more recent elections, 2017, where they got 29%, and 2019, where they got 25%, there has been a 
a gradual decrease in the share of the vote, which was something that Douglas Ross will have to think about. They seem, well, the claim at the moment is that the Scottish Conservatives are solidified as the opposition party. You know, they, they came in with quite an increase of seats, about, you know, 15 extra seats under Ruth Davidson coming into 2016. Because obviously in 2011, they were, well, third largest party, not very much on anybody's agenda, to be honest. And now it's two elections where they've managed to return 31 seats um, in both of them. But there were constituency losses, but that was offset by gains in um, the regional seats. And of course, that was part of the strategy to focus on those. Their manifesto was entitled Rebuild Scotland and came with five key policies, the first of which being a full fibre broadband rollout, which has currently well, been under control or part, partly under control of the Scottish Government to much success recently. Secondly, they pledged £2 billion extra pounds for our NHS, and that was a headline, of course, that would where that money would go is in the question, although the Scottish Conservatives manifesto was fully costed. There was a £500 skills grant for everyone. And of course, another big policy to recruit 3,000 more teachers, which is a, is a number of teacher places that have been lost since 2007 under the well, current SNP government. To more local police, they also wanted to introduce a local policing act as well. Yeah, um, when the, the Scottish Conservatives manifesto was put to a blind test and um, contrasted against all the other manifestos, it was found that theirs was the most appealing. But I think what their problem was, they didn't really hammer home the points they made in their manifesto. They based their whole campaign around the SNP and the SNP's manifesto. So it made it difficult for the Scottish Conservative message to cut through with voters. Yes, well, on social media, there was also lots of comparisons between party manifestos. And of course, the Scottish Conservatives came in first, perhaps the first time ever, of having the most instances of the words SNP or referendums. Yeah, it illustrates the confusion in their message when they're claiming that the SNP are obsessed with referendums and independence. And yet, if you look at the numbers and just listen to Douglas Roth or any senior Tory speak, it seems to be the Conservatives that are more obsessed with, with the Constitution. They've recognised that that was a perhaps fault, you know, over the previous elections. In 2019, of course, this was the exact same message that was uh, broadcast across by the then Conservative and Scottish Conservative leader. And we've now reverted back, however, to the tagline that's being used at the moment, which is um, a strong opposition, which is, of course, the primary function of the Scottish Conservatives for this parliamentary term. Um, well, the thing is, it's difficult to discuss policy, given they, they, they don't have the power to implement any policy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, well, in, in the previous parliament, the Scottish Conservatives can lay claim to the care for all policy, which was um, introduced by Miles Briggs, who is an MSP for Lothian. And the Scottish Conservatives also promoted a legislative programme that included various bills. And they claim that they are 100 or 
are 100% focused on recovery. They, they seem to lay the claim that the SNP are less focused on recovery and more focused on constitutional issues. Part of their legislative programme, they have pinned to introduce a local policing bill, as previously discussed, um, as well as improved animal welfare bills, armed forces and veteran bills, and an NHS future funding bill, which will secure NHS funding at a certain level for various different services. They were keen to focus on cuts that were made by the SNP government to things such as mental health funding, as well as drugs and alcohol treatment funding. The Scottish Conservatives also elected the first Indian Sikh MSP. I mean, this is a problem that we face on Twitter before when you're asked what the Tories stand for and you don't actually know. We know they stand for no. That, <laughs> that, that's been made quite clear anyways. So also this election benefited heavily from tactical voting, um, especially from unionist voters lending their vote, Labour voters lending their votes to the Conservatives and the Conservatives lending their votes to Labour voters as well as the Liberal Democrats. Um, in some constituencies, such as North East. We have, of course, Banff and Buchan, which had a rather large swing to the Conservatives, with them coming close of in the region of 800 votes to gaining the seat in the SNP. Yeah, there there seems to be very strong awareness amongst, amongst voters about where their vote should go if they're a unionist. In, in the North East, the Tory vote increased hugely, the Labour vote and Lib Dem vote collapsing. Whereas in the, in the central belt, the Labour vote increased in um, seats like Bearsden and Mulgai. I think uh, the, the Labour vote went up 10%. So there was, a, there was an effort amongst unionists to, to get the SNP out, but they fell short in the vast, well, in every seat where they tried. They did come within touching distance in many areas. You know, it, it seems to be the case that, especially in the North East, they benefited quite a lot from tactical voting for the Conservatives. And as you previously mentioned, Labour benefiting from tactical voting in the central belt. Um, you also had sort of higher profile Labour MSPs such as Jackie Bailey and Dumbarton, who was aided considerably by Conservative tactical voting to ensure that she obtained her seat. And the same seat. with Jackson Carlaw and Eastwood, who picks up quite a lot of Labour votes. Yes, and Jackson Carlaw and Eastwood as well, as well as Aberdeenshire West, which was helped by voters sort of coming around or rallying around a single party most likely to hold the seat against the SNP. The, the one constituency where that fell short was East Lothian, where the Conservative candidate stood against the Labour candidate, and both of them were almost equally matched in terms of votes. But the SNP candidate had the most so of course, yeah, the, the East Lothian seemed to be a real anomaly because, in many ways, it was a three-horse race. The Tories vote was already quite strong there, as was the Labour and SNP vote. So there was maybe a bit of confusion about which party Unionists should rally behind, and ultimately that led to the SNP managing to get in with just forty percent of the vote. Yeah, well, you have the case for the Conservatives now. They'll need to build. Uh, well, certainly coming up to the well next election in the next five years anyways over the course of uh, this 
session of course they'll have to be a, a strong opposition as they're building themselves as but they also have a focus on being uh, a real alternative as they say to the SNP and the question of course lies as to where the sort of peak of um, the Scottish Conservative success lies you know we've had two elections where the Conservatives have been on 31 seats even the SNP have essentially um, been on the same level of seats for both parliamentary terms and Labour has stayed relatively consistent on their seats too. Um, so the question is sort of where the ceiling is and how well the Scottish Conservatives can actually do. I don't I don't think you can win an election in Scotland with, without the central belt and as things stand the Tories are a million miles away in winning most central belt seats so I think if the Tories want to have any kind of role in government they need there needs to be a strong Labour Party as well and and really, they need to rely on, on the Labour Party um, picking up seats across Glasgow, um, seats like Falkirk, Linlithgow. Um, and the Tories really need to prioritise more rural areas like Aberdeenshire, Borders, the Highlands as well, although that's more of a Lib Dem target maybe. But in order, if, they want, if they do want to get in government, there's, I think there needs to be a, some kind of seismic constitutional shift that we saw in, uh, with Brexit, unprecedented swings away from Labour towards the Tories in the north of England. Something like that would need to happen for the Tories to make any kind of gains in, in the central belt of Scotland. See, they did increase their vote share. However, they also lost seats. They were aided by voting, pinning themselves to strong opposition. They were somewhat successful. They introduced this Care for All bill, which was Miles Briggs and Members' bill, um, and then trying to build themselves a sort of real alternative. They um, need uh, essentially a Labour Party to do that or need to improve their uh, central Scotland present um, and I think that that's really the conclusion of the Scottish Conservative Unionist Party Well that's all we have time for today in this podcast, make sure to follow us on our Instagram at Hollywood Briefing and subscribe to our Spotify page so that you don't miss out on the latest and greatest episodes Many thanks to my co-host Mark Doran, but most importantly of all, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Join us for our next episode where we discuss the Scottish Labour and Cooperative Party. Until next time, cheerio.